Welcome to the EFC Podcast. I'm Karen Stiller. Doug Koop is our guest today, and he is a spiritual health practitioner at the Health Sciences Center in Winnipeg. He's also a writer. Both of those vocations came together in a recent Faith Today magazine article about devout Christian people who experience an unexpected amount of fear or anxiety as they near death. One might assume or hope that deeply religious people would face death with calm and peace, but that might not always be the case. Welcome, Doug. Hi, I'm very happy to be speaking with you about this. Good. Well, first of all, before we jump into the topic uh, exactly, tell us about your work as a spiritual health care practitioner. What does that mean? Well, a spiritual health practitioner is what the chaplaincy system has evolved or is evolving into in contemporary Canada. So instead of being a denominational Catholic or Anglican or whatever that goes and ministers to people of like mind, we go to anyone and everyone and seek to connect them with those resources that are best suitable for them. Our primary role is simply to be a compassionate presence, and that is revealed in different ways at different bedsides. So does God always come into it in terms of conversation topic, or is that up to the patient? That is actually up to the patient. The introduction with spiritual, uh, the majority of people's mind automatically jumps to religion or things of that nature. So it's not a stretch, and God is frequently a topic of conversation, but that comes from the patient. Wow. And when you introduce yourself as a spiritual health care practitioner, mm-hmm. do you ever have anybody say, oh, I don't I don't need this, I don't want this? Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, and quite often, that first impression is the most important one. And sometimes there is some confusion over that, or sometimes people read into their worst idea of religious pressure coming at them and will reject okay. <laughs> immediately. Uh, but, you know, sometimes if there's sort of a blank look, I'll, I just might follow it up and say something like, find the guy who asks you about your spirits. How are mm. you feeling? And then that opens up the, you know, the language of emotion and the whole arena of how they are coping with whatever it is they're dealing with. Yeah. So are you a chaplain? <laughs> like in our yeah. old fashioned language, is it the same as being a chaplain? Yes, plus. Okay. I would say that we perform chaplaincy exercises, and uh, I mean, some people will call me pastor, some will call me priest, some mm. will call me mister, uh, some will call me things I won't repeat, but uh, <laughs> but we do that, but we are not restricted by that. We are able to, to meet with people and talk with them about things far beyond the immediate religious concerns that chaplaincy typically involves itself with. Okay. And so when you are doing this work, are you seeing like common themes emerge among patients? Is, are there typical fears and typical concerns and typical mm-hmm. questions? Well, yes. I guess what is common is that there are fears, there are concerns, there are questions. Okay. And those might express themselves in different ways to different people. But people wonder, what does all this mean? Hmm. Why is it happening? Why is it happening to me? Why is it happening now? How am I going to cope with this? There's a lot of uncertainty that surfaces in acute care and intensive care hospital situations. So that's what we step into is when people are often in an emotional, spiritual, 
physical turmoil. And when you are dealing with people who have identified themselves as, let's say, specifically Christians, and that's important in their life, mm-hmm. you you still see a sort of fear of death that I think may have surprised you a bit. Am I right? Yeah, that's one of the things I noticed, which was the genesis of that article that you referred to, is I noticed that people who, in many cases, believed most like I do, Mm -hmm. were the ones expressing higher levels of guilt, fear, and regret at the end of life than those of more nominal faith or no declared religious affiliation or faith at all. Wow. See, that is really the opposite of what I would have expected. I would have expected the devout religious person, uh, you know, specifically a Christian, to be Mm -hmm. more peaceful. Um, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't expect them to be excited about dying, but I... I wouldn't have guessed uh, that there would have been, that you would see more fear, and I will say I have seen that in family situations too. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who was faithful their whole life, and then all of a sudden they're really afraid. Yeah, it's not unusual. I mean, it is uh, verified through studies and all that. Part of this we have to remember too is that a devout faith, a devout Christian faith, is also about the best preparation that there yeah. is for end of life issues. How so? Because the kind of community that a dedicated Christian life has offered usually means that there is a support system in place, that a person who actually has full confidence in their salvation, and I make a distinction between confidence and certainty. Okay. Uh, a lot of, of people in the religious spectrum need to declare things with utter certainty or they feel they risk stepping out of the boundaries, and they don't. But people who are simply competent in their faith find it easier to accept the kind of grace and mercy that is necessary at the end of life. So is that a difference, if I'm understanding you correctly, say between, I mean, I guess the word I'm thinking of is legalism in belief uh, versus Mm -hmm. kind of a I don't know, more flexible grasp of mystery, say, or that they're better with mystery. Is that what you mean? Yeah, very very much so. A lot of our more conservative expressions of Christianity put a lot of uh, emphasis on right doctrines, right beliefs, right behaviors. Okay. They also talk glowingly in heaven and fearfully of hell. Okay. And it's going to be one or the other. Now, a person at the end of their life who looks at the things that they believed and the way that they behaved, and then in light of God's judgment and God's righteousness, find themselves falling woefully short. Mm. And that's where the fear factor steps in. It's that gap okay. between what we expect and or what we anticipate, what we hope for, and what we know to be true. Mm. And any one of us, there's a gap there. And when we're honest, we admit it. Uh, So, for those who have held to the tenets of their religion more legalistically, more rigidly, that gap yawns as a chasm, and that's the fear pit that many fall into. Yeah. Okay, so along come you, (laughs) and how do you minister in that place? My response is to remind them not of the verses of judgment that are clanging so loudly in their heads already, but about the faith that underneath all of this are the everlasting arms of love, that God is love, and that somehow, in some way, 
God will redeem those who he draws to himself or who draw near to him. And so I emphasize grace, I emphasize love, I emphasize mercy, and I just do that with with Bible verses. And the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. What can separate us from the love of God? Do you think our more liturgical brothers and sisters have something good going on with, say, a more formal confession? I'm I'm thinking that that might be a relief to people. And I guess that does happen in deathbed situations sometimes. It amazes me often how the arrival of a priest to administer the sacrament of the sick, commonly known as last rites, is such a tremendous relief for both the patient, the suffering one, and also for families. And it's almost like doing a little ritual there, which effectively says all those sins are not on your account anymore. You're okay. Uh, How that just lets the guilt go and releases it. Evangelical Protestants are, are not too keen on that sort of thing, but certainly with conservative Catholics who also demonstrate the same kind of fears mm-hmm. in higher level and guilt especially, how that ritual by a priest will dissipate those fears and bring them peace. Well, that's pretty wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, you mentioned earlier about the support of community, how, um, you know, if you've been an active Christian, you're adult life, you probably have a community that you belong to. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me in your experience how you've seen community, you know, step up or, or what what can we do to help care for people better? Well, one of the greatest fears people have is of being alone. And uh, particularly when, when they're facing death, simply having someone present is, is a huge uh, a benefit, a solve to their sore. So having visitors is one yeah. thing, having okay. people who care, having someone to sponge your mouth out or do these little care-oriented tasks that do make last hours less painful, mm-hmm. more comfortable. Um, it's still difficult no matter what, but to know that others are there is, is huge for most people. And are there many of you out there, Doug, like you're, you're doing this as a vocation and it's your job. Um, is it typical that every hospital would have a spiritual health care practitioner? Well, most hospitals do, or they have some form of spiritual care. The hospital I'm in is a, is a large one. It's a downtown major trauma center. So we have a team of nine who work regularly. When you're, um, like, as I listen to this now, as a midlife person, and think about these things, I do think, I guess because I'm a doer, (laughs) what can I do to uh, not be paralyzed with fear at the end of my life? And how can I live in my faith now in a way that will help me then? Well, the one word answer, of course, is trust. Do you actually believe believe as in have full confidence in, without even thinking about it really, in those things that you say you believe, particularly about the great mystery that is death, the hereafter, which we trust is heaven. Yeah. And then in terms of, um, I mean, grace comes into my mind, trying to actively live in, you know, grace and believing in grace. Mm-hmm. Can you do that? Can you recognize the grace moments in your life and name them? And because the more that these concepts, these promises of God are embodied rather than just 
and headed. <laughs> I like that word. I just made it up. But, uh, <laughs> but I think in, even in the, in, the, in the article there, I said things migrating from head held to heart felt. Yes. And that's what it takes. Recognizing these things in the ordinary practice of life, the, the graces that come along and the blessings that are there, naming them as God's gifts, that builds confidence and that just builds assurance in ways that I believe will be revealed when the trying times come. And if we're caring for someone who's experiencing that kind of fear, like our grandparents mm -hmm. or whomever, mm -hmm. we can take a page from your book and just reassure them as opposed to, you know, maybe frustrate it with the ill person or like, you know, why are you saying that? You know better. Or, but no, we should just be comforting and sharing with them the beautiful truths. I would think so. I mean, Arguments are rarely helpful, and yeah. even less so at the end of life. I would imagine reading to the person, if they wanted you to, would be a lovely thing to do. Yeah, and very often people of devout conservative faith simply love to listen to scripture. Yeah, I can or, see that. Or hymns, singing. Mm -hmm. Singing's probably even better. Huh. It's, very, it's very comforting. Doug, you were uh, editor of Christian Week newspaper for like 25 years, I think, and you've been a, a writer and a journalist, and now you're doing this work. Can you uh, just share with us how this has impacted you and your faith and your life? Well, I like to think that I have the same vocation, but a different occupation, because writing and I would have called it pastoral care were part of my DNA and part of my practice. Uh, in my years at Christian Week, what's the change is that it's now migrated to more one-on-one -on -one conversations or more intimate conversations uh, around the bedside rather than interviews and publishing. What is similar, though, is that as a reporter and as a writer, I was always popping into people's lives, often at traumatic or particularly interesting times, if it was news or there was something was happening pop in, have the talk, and then may or may not get the follow-through of how it developed over the next month, year, whatever. And that's very much the way it is here. It pop into people's lives, and it goes very deep, often almost immediately, but it's just for a short time, and then things move on, and often don't hear how that person did, or how that family is doing, or, or how it transpired. It's just a brief moment. Yeah. Doug, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for this opportunity to talk about this important work. And if you're listening to this and you haven't read the article in Faith Today, you can find it at faithtoday.ca or email us at editor at faithtoday.ca. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.